Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics, a podcast dedicated to exploring how things get places and the people who get them there. We'll talk with logistics and supply chain leaders about innovation, industry trends, and the future of the logistics business. Now, here's your host, Joe Lynch. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today's topic is the 8VC story with my friend Jake Medwell. How's it going, Jake? It's going good. Morning from Austin, Texas. Very, very nice. I was just going to say, so please introduce yourself and your company where you're calling from, but we know you're calling from Austin. So please introduce your company, though. Yes, my name is Jake Medwell from Austin, Texas. I'm one of the co-founders of 8VC, and we're a venture capital fund spread between Austin, San Francisco, and New York. Excellent, excellent. Well, I recognized your name right away when we started talking a few months ago. You guys seem to be real active in the transportation, logistics, supply chain space with all the technology companies. So tell us a little bit about what 8BC does. I mean, I know you're a venture capitalist, but uh, where does your company invest? Yeah, so listen, we're a a multi-stage venture capital firm, but we focus predominantly on the earlier side of things. So, you know, Series A and some Series B. Um, but a large part of what our fund does as well is actually build companies, right? So we're all entrepreneurs and builders by background. So it's a big part of what APC actually focuses on these days. Yep. So you mentioned multi-stage. Now you have to explain it to us because they're mostly logistics and supply chain guys. What do you, when you say, it, yeah, so, what, what, what are the multi-stages of investment that companies like yours gets involved with? So it's anywhere from, you know, one or two entrepreneurs working on a very early stage idea that doesn't have product market fit yet. You know, you might write a small check. So 500,000, let's say two or $3 million. And we call that a seed check all the way up to the next round, which is series A, which is they're starting to get product market fit. The team is a bit bigger and that's typically, you know, five to $15 million checks and then up from there. Right. And what we do is we invest in these companies early we help them build. And as they grow and scale and need more capital, we will continue to double down with them. Excellent. And you do have a, a one of your specialties is transportation, logistics, supply chain stuff, all the freight tech that goes in there. Is, do you guys invest elsewhere other than that space? Yes. Yeah, so we invest in a handful of verticals. You know, I spend a lot of my time in that particular space, but we do a lot in healthcare, biotech, a lot of gov tech as well. So, you know, we're a uh, we definitely invest across multiple different verticals. I like I like that just from a perspective of being able to learn what's what's hot in an, one industry and go how does that how does that potentially react in our space because I think a lot of us felt like maybe five ten years ago that we were way behind the curve in transportation logistics supply chain stuff and all of a sudden we feel real high tech. I don't know if we are or not, but we feel it <laughs> compared to what we used to be. Yeah. The, 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 the interesting thing now is that there's a giant spotlight on this industry now. So the things that are being built for this particular space are also like applicable in fields such as healthcare, fields like defense and all this other stuff. So it's, it's, it's been a big five or 10 years for this space right now. Yep. I just spoke at a university about this. Is I started my career in engineering, automotive engineering. And automotive engineering and automotive manufacturing, they call automotive manufacturing companies. They don't call them engineering companies, although they have tons of engineers. And they've got, yeah. they don't call them supply chain companies. But in a lot of ways, you could. You would never call Dell or Apple manufacturing companies. They're some of the biggest supply chain companies right. in the world. 
And they're also the buyers. They are the buyers of a lot of the products that we're investing in and building. Right. And you think about it, like in the 20s, Henry Ford said, we're going to have a completely integrated vertical supply chain. And now that just seems like, well, you can't. That makes no sense. But when you don't have a developed uh, supply chain, that's what you do. But we've come a long way since then. But let's get into a little bit about you. Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? Give us some career highlights before you started 8VC. I grew up in downtown Seattle. Um, you know, it's funny. A lot of people say that they're from Seattle, but very few people are actually from Seattle when you ask them. So I grew up on Capitol Hill and I went to Bellevue High School. So I was exposed to technology from a very young age because Bellevue is the home of a lot of large technology companies like Microsoft and Amazon and Expedia and whatnot. So I was exposed to it from a very young age. It's also the home of some of the large trucking companies like Pat Carr and others as well. Right. So, oh, this was destined. <laughs> That's excellent. So, um, that car was the tallest building in town where uh, I went to high school. So, so where'd you go to school? I went to Bellevue High School. Did you, did you go off to college? I did. I went to the University of Southern California. Very nice. That's a tough school to get into. Yeah. That's what they said. So, what'd you study? I was business and entrepreneurship. I actually uh, I started my first company. While I was at college, and I spent a lot of my time my junior and senior year on it. Oh, did now? Did you finish school, or do you say the hell with it? I'm going to go start these companies. You know what? I did finish school. That's a rarity um, these days. I hear so many people yeah. say, "I decided the hell with it. I've got a successful company, or I'm on to something big," and they leave. Good for you. Yeah, you know, USC was very adaptable. Um, I became really good friends with the dean. He was a guy named Jim Ellis, and he was an incredible guy. And he helped me basically figure out a way to both run my company and also kind of make it through school at the same time. Excellent. Excellent. Well, it's funny. I was just talking to my nephew. He's getting ready to go to college. And I was just telling him, you know, there's certain schools, especially the ones out West, I said, where it's kind of a, you plan your business while you're in school. And I said, I, I think we think of Stanford that way, but it seems as if there's more and more people I talked to in my podcast who said, I went here and started doing something on the side. And before you know it, I'm out. Anyway, so where'd you go? What was your first gig outside of school? Well, it was running my first company, which was actually a bicycle imports and manufacturing company. We built one of the first online bike stores. Oh, very nice. So I guess you learned a little bit about logistics and supply chain there. I learned how tough it was to bring things in from overseas and how you are at the mercy of the service provider. Nice, nice. So where'd you go from there? From there, I graduated school and I started a uh, mobile technology company called Human, which drew, which uh, brought me up to Silicon Valley. I was about 22 years old. Nice. Now, what, what did Human do? Human was a smart contextual uh, search for your contacts. So oftentimes you'll have people saving your phone. You don't know where you may have met them or you're trying to find, hey, who was that guy that I met at this conference or that you could search your contacts like you would search Google. So I could search, hey, who did I meet at like the Freight Waves conference that lives in Chattanooga that works at, you know, XYZ company. And you could just enter it into a search query and it would tell you exactly who it who it was. And it, and it, and it did that by, you know, pulling data from all different types of places online. God, I need that because I talked to so many people. I talked to a lot of people who are on my podcast like you, but I talked to a lot of other people besides that. And then sometimes somebody will say a name and I go, God, I recognize that name. And I think, is it because I'm connected to them on LinkedIn or I interviewed them, or we talked about something. <laughs> yeah, and and the context is the hard part. I like to use it because sometimes I can go. E did I interview him? Maybe. So where where yeah. from? 
Well, I spent a lot of time trying to figure that out. Yeah. So, so where'd you go from there? Yeah. So that brought me up to San Francisco and it was kind of an interesting time because a lot of people outside of the Valley were trying to figure out the Valley. And I found myself at this very interesting place where, you know, a lot of my network was outside of the Valley trying to get in. So I kind of started to help them get access to deals and access to venture funds. And that's actually how I ended up getting in touch with uh, my current business partners at ABC. Oh, really? So now is that when you started ABC? Yeah. So we started ABC about, God, it's been nine or 10 years now, which is pretty crazy to think about. But yeah. So when you start a venture capital firm, so did you start, why, first I should ask, why is it called 8VC? Is it because there's eight venture capitalists together originally or? No. And that's a great question. So there's a group of eight people that worked at a company in Silicon Valley back in the 1950s. And these people were incredibly fed up with their boss. Uh, and they basically walked out of the company. And these people were known as like the traitorous eight, right? And the traitorous eight went on to found companies like Intel, companies like Kleiner Perkins, companies like Hewlett Packard. And so they were in a certain way, almost the godfathers yes, exactly. of, you know, what was what was modern day Silicon Valley when we when we launched the firm? So it's kind of like a you know homage to them. Yeah, that you know when you think of like Hewlett Packard, it feels like like you're talking about the, the, the stagecoach. But um, those guys created the foundation that is now Silicon Valley. I mean, and hundred percent and a wave of microchips. Yeah, exactly. So you started ABC with how many partners do you have? So there were five of us in total. Nice. Now, uh, this is a question I've always wondered about. So did you guys say, we have to go raise money first before we can start investing that money? Well, you know, it was interesting. It was kind of a mix, right? Because we were all entrepreneurs and builders by background. So, you know, I had built Human. My partner, Joe, was the founder of Palantir and built a few other companies. My other partner, Alex, was really early at Google. And my partner, Kimmy, built a large healthcare company. So, you know, the best deal flow in Silicon Valley tends to come from entrepreneurs themselves, Right. So we had seen ourselves getting access to all these deals. And my partner, Joe, had a lot of previous experience investing as well. So it all just kind of came together. Yep. When did when did you start 8VC? First Vintage Fund was in 2012. So explain, you, know, you have multiple funds. Explain how funds work within a VC. Yeah. So basically, we raise a new fund every two to three years, right? And we invest out of that fund until the fund is you know, basically like fully deployed. And from there we go and raise our next one. So the funds basically stack, right? And when you 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 build a portfolio within that fund, but you also save some of the capital in that fund to continue to invest in those businesses as they grow. Right. So we may invest $10 million into XYZ company, but we will also save 10 to 15 behind that to continue to invest in our Pro rata down so how many funds do you guys run or is that proprietary? You know, we have a lot of vehicles and we're investing out of our seventh core fund. So now when you, so you guys are constantly raising money and also investing money. Is that right to say? It's pretty busy all the time. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and so when I'm just trying to understand the people who might invest in your, uh, your next fund, would they say, show me some of your past successes and, uh, and how, yeah, so and there's a very, there's a very diligent process for the type of investors that we work with. And yeah, they're not they poor people. <laughs> they want to see, you know, a lot of detail about our past performance. They want to understand, you know, the way we think about investments, the way that we operate our team, the way that we process our investments. 
you know, and, and, and so it's a, it's a very serious, it's a very serious process on both sides, both for us raising capital and also for us deploying capital. Yeah. So if you, the way I kind of think about this is if you don't make those investors, the people who came and said, Hey, I'd like to invest money with you guys, if you don't make them really happy. It all goes away. But also if you don't have success on the other side with the companies you're investing in, if they don't ultimately see success, you're done. Right. So, you know, one of the interesting things about venture capital is that about, you know, 95% of the returns are driven by, you know, five to seven percent of the venture funds. Right. So it's a very skewed industry. Right. I heard, and I don't know if you know, I'm sure you everyone has opinions on on the guy, but I heard Ashton Kutcher talk about this not so long ago, the actor. He got involved with investing yeah. and a lot of people who made some money in Hollywood and entertainment said, Hey, said, I want to do what he's doing. I, I want to have I want to do exactly what he's doing. And he was kind of making the point that all you're seeing is some of the successes that I invested in early, right? But he said, there's hundreds of companies that you invest in. And, you know, if you have a, a dozen winners, you've done really well. And he was kind of making that point. He says that most, most people who are from the entertainment space weren't particularly interested in sitting down, nor probably did they have the skill set to sit down and talk to a hundred different companies to figure out where they want to invest. Yeah, he's a... he. He's he's done an incredible job getting himself in some of the best companies over the past decade, and we actually know him well. And you know, I, I am I am very impressed by everything that he's done. I will say he's a smart man. I saw I saw him give a speech one time, and it was to some children's thing, and it was like, man, oh man, he's he's kind of an idol you can really look up to in in that regard. But anyway. Want to switch gears? When I was looking at your website, it said eight VC. I think it said a different kind of venture capital, a different kind of VC. What did? What do you mean by that? And I guess this kind of also asked the question: What makes you guys different and better? I mean, what what did you see as the hole yeah. in the market when you said we're going to start a VC? Because there was VCs. What did you say? We we, we think we can do something I think it's better. A few things I think. I think first and foremost, we're all builders by background, right? And as builders that have built businesses and raised and raised a lot of capital, we want to work with people that understand that, right? So we, you know, feel we're investing in our peers more often than not, right? And you know, a lot of kind of the the firms that are our size and investing in industries that we do, you know, there's a lot of career venture capitalists. And like I said, we're all builders and entrepreneurs by background, right? So, you know, with that said, our firm, as I mentioned earlier, invests and builds as well, right? So about 25% of our fund or up to that, you know, can be used towards actually building companies, right? So a partner can say, hey, I want to build a business in this space. We can actually go and spend time and do it, right? I think another element that is very different for us is that you know, we go really deep on industries. We build very deep industry partnerships. We bring them in to invest in the fund. We work with them as advisors and we get incredibly hands-on, right? When I first started, when, when I first started investing in the space, I went and spent time at like truck stops. I went into warehouses. I went and tried to meet everybody in the space that I could, right? And I think a lot of times, you know, the venture capitalists that are in the Valley just sit back behind their desk and expect things to come to them. And at least in this particular space, that doesn't work, right? This is a pure marriage of old and new, and you have to do that to win. Yeah, you know, it it, it occurs to me that this is um, a never-ending problem with 
your kind of business is that you make some investments and you do very well and it grows and you have more money to invest. And after a while, you, you hire some associates to help you and um, you're further and further away. The more money that comes in, the more that you kind of become administrators and the more it becomes, did you follow the process, <laughs> right? <laughs> did you go, Did you come to the staff meeting? Did you make the boss happy? As opposed to what you're just saying is, you as the as the venture capitalist is going to truck stops, is meeting with the adv- people in the industry, going really deep, going to truck stops. That's That just seems like the nature of the beast is a billion dollars from now, you might go, it's just hard to do what I used to do. <laughs> Hopefully not. Yeah. You know, but I, I think the other thing I'd point out is that like, we are a true team and, a tr- and, and we have, you know, very different backgrounds and it's a very flat firm. Right. So that helps, you know, I have, I have no particular ownership. If something comes in that's in the biotech space, right. I'm going to pass it to my partner that focuses on bio. Right. And there's no internal politics or anything like between that. It's a totally flat firm. And, you know, people don't own deals. The firm owns the deal and we work on it as a team, right? So I don't have an engineering background. My partner, Alex does. Alex and I might tag team a certain deal together because, you know, we're both best fit for that. And I don't know how to, you know, go deep on their tech stack, for example. Right. I think it reminds me of being an automotive guy, huge hierarchies to build cars, right? So these engineering groups, and they've worked really hard to get the organizations as flat as they can be. And I've had friends who say, I won't take that next promotion because it takes me too far from the product. And I love the product. And that's always a problem. I mean, because again, as, as as somebody says, hey, we identified you as a great leader. We want to have you start developing leaders. Great. But that pulls me from what I do best, which is, as you said, build. So you guys been around, you've made some investments. Can you talk about some of those investments and, and not, not too much detail? I don't want that. Why you invested and kind of what you saw in the, in, in, you know, as the opportunity and also like, there's obviously the opportunity and then there's the folks. Yeah. You know, <laughs> listen, it's always a mix of people and ideas, right? And depending on when you invest in the company, you kind of have to index towards either one, right? You know, if you're investing in someone early, it's a lot about the person. You can assume the idea is going to change a bit. If you're going to invest in a more kind of baked business that's, you know, Series B or, you know, that type of stage, you focus a lot more on kind of like the metrics and the industry trends and things like that. So, you know, we invest in a lot of different companies in the space. You know, we're, uh, I think... It was either last year or this year, or both years, we were named the most active investor in the space globally. Wow. So, you know, we, we invest in everything from, you know, IoT to things like telematics to TMS to yard management systems to companies like FreightWaves that are in kind of like media space and SaaS space. So it's, it's, there's a, there's a very uh, wide range of what we do in terms of the space particularly. Yep. So when you look at these I think I asked this once before of somebody. So it seemed like when I think about the typical, maybe it's maybe it's too stereotypical. You think of that that Steve Jobs character, you know, who's who's who is this visionary, and he's kind of. I know he had partners, but uh, he was the guy. And now I hear more and more about founding teams. And somebody said it's really attractive if you can have a founding team because. Teams uh, tend to get better results. 
How do you guys, I'm sure you have both, but what are your thoughts on it? Well, I, I think the logistics space is different, right? Because you look at someone like Jobs or, you know, someone who's built these massive kind of consumer facing companies, right? It's typically like a very, very incredible product person that's at the helm of it. Someone like Jobs, right? In the, in the logistics space, you need a lot of operators, right? And you need to pair the operators with true technologists. And the problem and something that I've noticed early on, you know, when, when working in this space is that the technologists don't understand the nuances of the space, right? Like if you ask someone building software, right. Hey, you know, how many types of dock doors are there? The guys or gal is going to look at you like, you know, you're speaking a totally foreign type of language to them. So Oftentimes in this space, I look for operators and entrepreneurs that have previous experience in the space that truly understand the problem. For example, we have an investment in a company called Platform Science, right? And Jack Kennedy, who is the CEO of Platform Science, he has an incredible background. He was on kind of the founding team at Hulu. He, you know, actually ran Omnitracks before it sold, and now he's built platform science, right? So he understands, you know, both the industry, he understands telematics, he understands the app store concept because of Hulu, and he has this very unique background that makes him the perfect person to go build platform science, right? And so, you know, that's that that's what we like to look for in people. Um, I what think does platform science do? Just Platform science is a telematics system that is used by a lot of the kind of top fleets out there, right? I'm not sure what, what what what's public or not. So you can probably Google it and figure out who they use or sorry, who actually uses them. But they're kind of the best enterprise grade telematics platform out there. And there's a there's a app ecosystem that lives on top of it. So think of think of platform science making your truck go from a old like Motorola flip phone to an iPhone with an iOS app store on it, right? It goes from super complex. Everything is like taped on to a very easy, I want this app. I want this app, like touch here, touch there. And it actually integrates all the data together, right? And that's the first time that that's actually happened on the truck. So he's, so he's an example of those kind of that, the, uh, the one man band who said, Hey, I've, I've been there, done that, got the right experience. And, you know, you mentioned something and I, yeah, like he had partners. He had partners with him, but you know, I was introduced to Jack, and I met Jack, and you know, he's an incredible CEO. I had Ben Gordon on my podcast, and he said something that was interesting to me. He said, "You know, when you look at like warehousing, warehousing management systems," he said, "Just what you said. We have the technologists who can put together this wonderful technology, but they don't. They're not operators. And then conversely, the operator." isn't a technologist. And I feel like slowly but surely we're getting some hybrids, you know, people who are kind of raised in with a foot in both worlds. And that I think we have to get to because, you know, we don't want to have to be say, well, talk to the techies. I don't know anything about it. You know, and you don't want to hear, you don't also want to hear technologists say, I really don't understand it, but I'm the one who has to create, a, you know, the tool for them. It doesn't make sense for us. Yeah. It needs to be integrated. You have to understand everything. Otherwise, you just end up with a bunch of shiny dials and dashboards that people don't actually use. Yep. So getting back to it, you you guys feel like you're different because you're going deeper into the space. You're 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 also builders yourselves. And and so you as you guys 
dig in. I know you've got some other investments besides that. What else can you tell us? And then I want to talk a little bit about when you're looking at an opportunity and a, a, a team, what are you looking for from them? But first, tell us a little bit about some of your ex- some of your existing projects. Yeah, so listen, platform science is great. We're investors in companies like FreightWaves, Flexport, Trackonomy. Sounds like you've done pretty well. <laughs> well, a wise guy once told me, you know, if you were on the field over the last decade, you had a pretty good chance of scoring a touchdown or two, right? So I think, <laughs> listen, it's a bit of skill. It's a ton of luck. It's a lot of timing. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I can't take all the credit. Yeah. So when you're looking at companies, you know, opportunities and teams that come to you, and it sounds like a lot of people are coming to you, what are you looking for? What you, When you and your partner sit down and start analyzing and making determinations on investments, what are you looking for? You know, like I said earlier, it's a it, it, it varies a bit stage to stage. The earlier the stage, the you know, more over-indexed on the, entrepreneur it is, on the entrepreneur it is. The later stage, the more, you know, emphasis there are on, you know, things like metrics and revenue and, you know, all this stuff. You know, you want to have a very strong entrepreneur. I prefer second and third time entrepreneurs. They've done it before. A lot of kind of the learnings that a first time entrepreneur has to go through, you just don't have to deal with. You know, we always talk about it. Like when you invest in a business, there's typically like, a you know, there's two kinds of entrepreneurs. There's ones that you give the money to and they just take and run and they build an incredible company. And you're like, well, I guess that happened. And then there's ones where, you know, you invest in and you spend a ton of time with them and you never really know what you're going to get until the company's kind of taken off. Right. But it's, 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 it's really about working with great people because entrepreneurship is a, a very tough road, right? And there's a ton of ups and there's a ton of downs and you need somebody that's going to be strong through it. Yep. I, when I think about you, you, you guys saying, you said you're builders there. And I think that would be really helpful is I'm, if I, to have you as an investor because there's kind of a recognition that there are those ups, there are those downs. The success isn't linear. So you're not saying, hey, I just made a little chart here and this is what I want to see. I want to see you get to here, and then I want to see an inflection point where it goes hockey stick. You say, "No, I get it. <laughs> There's going to be bad days." It's a lot about what happens in, you know, the tough times, right? I have one company that's now, you know, one of the more successful companies out there. I'm not going to share the name, and you know, four and a half years ago, I was bridging their payroll week to week at one point, right? So the company was going under and now the company is worth, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars to that be worth billions of dollars. And we were literally running a, I don't know, a couple hundred thousand dollar payroll for them, you know, and kind of keeping the company afloat until things got figured out. So it's stories like that, that both make, make other entrepreneurs want to work with you and are the ones where you just, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the, those are the most fun, especially when they win. I've talked to a lot of founders and they all say the ones who've gotten venture capital all say the same thing is I went to, I went out to Silicon Valley. I went to San Francisco. I slept on, went to Texas. <laughs> oh yeah, exactly. But they always say, and I was sleeping on couches and I would just go and pitch and pitch and pitch. And I remember, I think it was the guys from Shipwell and uh, they said, yeah, like a, maybe a hundred companies we talked to before we finally kind of got the the money. And I was thinking to myself, as, as you were talking about this, is you guys must, venture capitalists must all have reputations too, that as as people who are building companies say, 
I want to work with eight VC because of their blank. <laughs> and I mean, it's, I'm, yeah. I'm assuming people want to work with you because you're a builder, because you do go deep, and from where you guys came from and who and their successes. And yeah, and I got to think there's other places where they're like, ah, these guys are a little more formal. They're, uh, you know, they're going to make us jump through a whole bunch of burning hoops. They're not going to support us as soon as things go bad. <laughs> when people ask kind of what it's like to work with us, I say, call any of our current portfolio company CEOs and just chat with them. If you want to work with us, great. If not, like, I'm, you know, I'm not. No hard sell. I'm not going to force it. And so, you know, they typically say, well, who should I call? I said, you can call any of them. I can put you in touch or you can just pick one because you're going to get the same response from all of them. Right, which is that they feel like they're getting a co-founder of their business. We are actually there with them, building it, and kind of we're doing it hand in hand with them through good times and through bad. I love that. I reminds me a buddy of mine. He's a lawyer, right out of school. I think he worked at Price Waterhouse, well Cooper's Library, which got bought by Price Waterhouse. And I remember he said every year we have this big holiday party, and he says, and our our alumni come back. He goes, it's this huge party. It's the biggest one we have every year. And I was like, your alumni? He goes, yeah, people who left. And he says, that's who we work with. <laughs> and he says, it's celebrated. He goes, and I was thinking to myself, how many companies have I worked at when I left, even when it was a better opportunity for me? And they're like, on my way out the door, like, you know, screw you, Lynch, get out. <laughs> I'm mad because you broke my heart. <laughs> Almost every person that's left our firm has left to start a company that we back. <laughs> Right. That's that's telling. So we have, you know, we've we we have about we've had about twenty, I think twenty two or twenty three companies spin out of our firm, which actually is why we formalized the build program. What is the build said, program? You know, these guys are built. You know, there's a few multi multi billion dollar companies that were built by you know former interns and analysts, right? And so as soon as we saw that happen, a few times, well, we should probably actually formalize this and you know work to help them create these ideas and give them the financing for it and so so that's kind of actually how the build program started well i love that because you know how many and, and again i'm i'm a, I'm a generation older but i've had a lot of companies where you like sit in that cubicle and do your job and you get paid well i always got paid well but there was no opportunity to uh hey go off and and chase your dream and we'll fund it and uh we'll all get rich there's none of that. <laughs> it's uh, follow the process. You're on an org chart. Yeah, we encourage people to stay for two or three years. Yeah, it's a lot easier to get an intern when you say, "Who knows? Maybe you'll be one of the guys who starts a company out of we here." We tell them that you know we we make very clear you know you come here for two three years and you either find your path as a person at this firm and you want to go join the like investment team and work in this industry, or you go and help lead one of our portfolio companies, or you can build a company, right? Fantastic. So, and the goal is that they go out, they become successful, and they come back to the firm, right? Nothing would make me happier than to see, you know, someone work for us for two or three years, go off, you know, go help build a multi-billion dollar company, and then come back as a partner, right? That's, that's how I know it's come full circle, and it's going to be incredible when that happens, right? I didn't ask, how did you end up in Austin, Texas? I know it's a great city. How did you end up there? And why did you guys decide that was where you guys were going to go? Because I know you're out, obviously, you're from Seattle and you were in California. That seems where a lot of that VC money is. Why uh, Why Texas? Yeah. And, and, and I, I would just caveat this by saying we do still have a large presence in San Francisco. You know, we have 30 
you know, plus people in San Francisco. You know, we looked at a lot of cities to move to. This was actually before the pandemic. We knew that we wanted to, you know, partially move the firm elsewhere. And we looked at all different types of cities. We looked at Miami, Nashville, you know, places in Colorado. And Austin stood out for a few reasons. First and foremost, the University of Texas is an incredible pool of engineers, right? And to build great companies, you need great engineers and you need a talent pool. And if you look at places like Miami or, you know, some of these other cities where a lot of people have moved in the past couple of years, it doesn't have the same talent pool. And talent is key for us, right? So that was probably the biggest driver to Austin. You know, it's a much more business-oriented place. Actually, I heard a great I heard a great anecdote was that somebody called Texas, California in the 70s, which is kind of funny. I wasn't alive in the 70s. That was about uh, 15 to 20 years before I came along. But I thought that kind of, that kind of made sense. So, you know, it's, it's interesting. I, I've said this before on my podcast, but I thought it was very interesting. There was a, a guy, I, I live right outside Ann Arbor, and uh, there was a guy who came to speak. He was a venture capitalist. He came to speak at the university and he said, I think he got kicked out of University of Michigan for some reason. And he said, it's always great to come back to the school I got kicked out of. <laughs> and, and, um, and his message then was stay home, stay home. Don't, don't, he goes, you know, he goes, when, when you go to Silicon Valley and you invest, he goes, there's so much people from the Midwest. And he said, you know, and, he, and uh, there's a, a number of unicorns out of Ann Arbor now. And they said, I'm not moving out West. And well, a lot of times the VC money said, We'll give you money, but come out west. You need to come out west. And they're like, all my talent's here. I'm at a big university town. I got tons of talent. I used to work for a venture uh, a venture capital-backed company out in Mountain View. I was based here. There was 12 guys at the company. Four were based in Michigan, eight in Silicon Valley. But the four guys in – four of the eight in Silicon Valley were from Michigan. So it's like, oh, what about the hell are we all going out to there? It's just pay twice as much to live and uh, tw- twice as much to get talent. So I want to switch gears on you here, Jake, before I lose you. I know I don't have you all day. What's What sort of trends are interesting to you in the transportation logistics space, supply chain space right now? Give me two or three trends that you're really interested in. I think that, okay, so I think that the last, you know, five to 10 years was like this 1.0 wave. Right. You have these incredible platforms being built. You're seeing, you know, all these brokers become tech enabled. You're seeing, you know, all these different visibility platforms. You're seeing, you know, companies crush it like Project 44. You're seeing the truck become a platform. The companies like keep trucking and platform science. And so, so you're having this whole wave of platforms being built. Sorry, that have been yes. built. Right. The first time you're starting to see this opportunity for an ecosystem on top of this. So I think that like the infrastructure phase, which is like the 1.0 of this world has come to a screeching halt, right? <laughs> and I have not made too many investments in the last year or two, sorry, in the last year or so in the space that are, are early because I'm waiting to see what happens. And I think what's gonna happen is you have to start marrying, and I always said this, but it's coming to be, you have to start actually marrying the old world and the new world, right? You have to have companies that are, you know, partially asset based that actually work and have completely like vertical software in them to create efficiencies. And this may take the form of tech enabled private equity in the space, 
which is something that we've been spending a ton of time on, or it may, it, you, know, you know, it can, it can take a few different forms, but you know, the, the low hanging fruit investments and opportunities in this space are no longer right. And you have to understand the nuances of the space. You can start merging companies together. You can buy things and layer things on top of it. I think it's going to be a very interesting time over the next five to 10 years that I'm incredibly excited about. So when you talk about these platforms, like the ecosystem, so if I, so if I said, Hey, Jake, I got this great idea for a, a load board. Would you kind of think, uh, <laughs> that is a tough place to win right now because they're all already out there. It's like, uh, it'd be like pitching a new social network like five years ago, <laughs> right? Like there's already, there's no more room on my phone for an app, right? Yeah. So if I, if I pitch you the next next platform, that that's not real interesting. You know, let, let me ask a question. Somebody said this not too long ago on my podcast getting really good at one little space within the transportation logistics space. So you say, Hey, I'm, I'm the guy who does this better than anyone. And it's not a threat to the platforms. Cause eventually one of the platforms is gonna, they're going to integrate with me or buy me. Well, I think it depends what you want, right? Like, listen, if you want to go build a company worth a couple hundred million bucks and sell it, that's a great idea. Don't go take venture money raised from some, you know, like, you know, some, you know, like industry heroes and go build something own 80% of it and sell it. So that doesn't interest you. What no, does? My business is investing in companies that can scale to be multi-billion dollar companies that will shift industries, right? It sounds silly, but listen, if I invest and own 20% of a $200 million exit, right? I made $40 million on that sale. Now, listen, that's a ton of money, right? But if you're looking at it from the perspective of an $880 million fund, it does not move the needle, right? I need to own 15 to 20% of a business worth billions and billions of dollars, right? And that's the business that I'm in. And so we have to be very careful on where we invest. And when we invest, we say, okay, how does this become a billion dollar company? How does this become a $5 billion company? How does this become a $10 billion company, right? And if we cannot create that base case, it's not for us. Interesting. Which doesn't mean it's not a good company. No, I understand. It just means that... It's just not for us, right? It may be good for a seed fund. Right. It reminds me where um, if you ever hear Warren Buffett speak about Berkshire, the biggest problem he has, he says, is I can't find deals big enough to move the needle. I mean, the guy's buying BNSF and he's <laughs> buying NetJets and he's, you know. But he can't, so. The idea where somebody says, hey, this company looks like a good deal is like, there's not, it's not big enough for me to buy. <laughs> I can't move the needle. And and you think about it, you only have so much energy. And that's the same with any firm, right? You have to figure out what's a big enough deal. So so talking about if if you feel like these the platforms are built and you're you don't want to invest in that, what are you gonna invest in? You guys are obviously still busy. Well, listen, we're spending a lot of time with our existing portfolio companies right now. It's a tough time right now. You know, you're having to sacrifice growth and focus on margin and focus on operational efficiency of the business, which is something that we should always have been focusing on. But when you have other investors willing to invest off bad unit economics and high growth, it kind of throws the market a bit, right? So I'm really happy that we're back to core fundamentals, right? Which is what we all need. And so, so, so a big part of my time is actually working with existing portfolio companies right now to put more capital in them, cut their costs, make sure they're focusing on the right things. 
with that said, listen, if a good opportunity comes up, like we invested in a great company called Loop, oh, yeah. you know, about a year, year and a half ago, the CEO and founder, his name is Matt, he's incredibly bright. He worked at Uber Freight and, you know, that deal came and it was one that we did and we're incredibly excited about, you know. Is that the returns? It's actually a payment. It's a payment business for the freight space. And so... Listen, it's a great team. It's a great opportunity. I don't think anyone has nailed it yet. And he has a vision that I haven't heard from anyone else, right? So, you know, we back that. But Get him on my podcast. <laughs> I'd be happy to introduce you. He's, a, he's, a, he's an incredible entrepreneur. And also, just a, just a quick bit on him, he truly understands the freight space and also the technology space because he has a data science background and he worked at Uber Freight, right? So he... He understands both sides of uh, both 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 sides of the business there, which is very rare for a CEO. So I was just going to say, so you mentioned you guys make lots of investments, but not all of, but not not every not every great company is a good opportunity for you guys because you say it just just might not be a big enough fish or just doesn't fit what you guys are trying to do. When you do have, you said a lot of these are not winners. That's just the nature of investing, but. When you do have a winner, is it because they started making a lot of money and it's within your fund, or is it because they sold, got bought by somebody else, or went public, or all of the above? It's all of the above, right? Listen, obviously, getting a clean all cash exit is great. It's easy, it's quick. You send money back to the investors. You know, going public, you oftentimes have a six month lockup, whatever it may be. You know. And, and, and so the stock goes up and down, obviously. Um, so it's really any of the above, right? You know, we don't have, you know, we don't necessarily have a bunch of cash generating businesses. That's more of the private equity model. You know, we are investing and in using the profits to continue to grow these businesses, right? And I would rather grow 100% year over year and put the money back in the business than grow 15% and take a cash distribution. Right. And the private equity guys, the ones which is like, also what people should really think about before they take venture dollars. Yeah. That's a, that's a good point. And it's, it's not for everybody. I think it's like less than 1% of companies actually take VC money, but there is some real advantages of it, right? Because if there's a big opportunity right now and I say, I'm going to bootstrap it and you go the other route, say, I'm going to take VC money. You have an opportunity to to become the market leader before I even get off the ground. For sure, that's why people take it. <laughs> and also, also you it get builders like yourself takes a different, side by side. Yeah, listen, it takes a different kind of entrepreneur. Yep, yep. To go, you know, have to 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 have the kind of like vision and drive to, you know, raise tens. 50s, hundreds of millions of dollars and go build a multi-billion dollar company. I think I always think it takes kind of some thick skin too. Uh, and and be, really you have to be confident yeah, be in yourself great. because you're bringing on partners and, the, and those partners are all really smart guys and they put a big chunk of money in it. And so they got to say, and all of a sudden you go, I got to defend my, I got to defend my baby where a bootstrapper says, Hey, it's my baby. I'll decide how we're going to do this thing. Right. Yeah. You have to have a bit of a screw loose. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I want to wrap this bad boy up. So what's answer in any order you want. What's next for you, what's next for 8VC, and what's next for our industry, especially in regards to the investments from uh, VC money? What's next for 8VC is, you know, we have a new fund we're super excited about that we're going to be investing out of. What's next for the industry? I think you're going to see a lot of consolidation. 
I think you're going to see, you know, hopefully not a lot of companies go under, but I think you're going to see some really interesting buying opportunities over the next year or two, kind of with where the markets are. And you're going to see the continue kind of focus and, and high spend for people in this space wanting, you know, great software for transparency, efficiency, and making sure that people are accountable. Yep. So that consolidation, that means that that could be good for some of your funds where they get bought potentially. Yeah. I think it's really good for M&A. You know, I think, uh, I think it's definitely a good thing. You know, there's also times where like companies sell too early because they have to, right. Which is always a shame. So it really just depends. It's on a case by case basis. Yeah. You know, let me ask, this is a question I should ask earlier, but let me ask anyway. Some companies raise money now, I, I, you hear it in the paper, you see it in Wall Street Journal, where they raise this uh, like a billion dollars and that somebody says, hey, this this company's valued at $5 billion, but they aren't making the money to show that the market, that, well, the market wouldn't say they're worth $5 billion, just the investments that were made in it is $5 billion. And then as we hit these rough times, what happens to these kind of companies? I mean, you can't go public with those because they're not- Yeah, gonna- listen, they're going to be- there's going to be down rounds, right? You are valued. Like when you raise venture capital dollars, they are valuing you based off what your company will be valued at in 12 to 18 months or whatever it is, right? It kind of goes up and down based on where the company is. And if these companies have to raise more capital and the markets change, right? They may have traded at, let's say, a 15 times ARR, right? And now the public markets are a lot less than that, right? So you know, if they have to go raise more capital, you're going to see that coming at a probably a lower price and you're going to see that capital sit on top of the preference stack. And what that means is that if the company were to sell or if something were to happen, those investors that put their capital in last would be the first to get it out. Yeah. And that's when you start to see some of the maybe the original investors get their their piece made, made a little smaller, right? And the good news for them is you get to you get to continue to play, right? Correct. I mean, it's on a deal by deal basis, but yeah. Yep. More or less. So I know I'm going to lose you in a minute. So uh, let me ask you, well, what I'll do is I'll put your LinkedIn profile and a link to your website and any other links that your marketing team gives me. I'll put those in the show notes so people can reach out and talk to you. What kind of companies are you looking to talk to? I mean, the companies, what kind of people, what kind of uh, opportunities are you looking to talk to? Like I said, I love second and third time entrepreneurs. I want to see something different, right? I don't want to see like another, you know, piece of software to show me where a package is, right? I want to see- No, truly, no me too's. <laughs> yeah. I want to see truly transformative companies that are creating a paradigm shift in the industry or companies with an incredibly unfair, unique advantage, Right. For example, the entrepreneur may have formerly been the CEO of one of the largest transportation companies in the world and is now going to build something to help serve them with his former employer or her former employer, right? So I love unfair advantages. (laughs) Excellent, excellent. So what conferences will we see you guys at? Do you go to any of the logistics and supply chain conferences? I'm going to uh, Freight Waves always. I've been on the board of Freight Waves since the seed round. Excellent. Huge huge fan of what they do. I love those guys. here in Austin. And then uh, we host our own summit. You know, we host a very small, you know, 50 person get together at our estate in Napa Valley. 
where we bring together kind of the top CEOs and industry experts and it's invite only and, you know, the whole thing's covered by us. So it's always a pretty fun event. Wow. When is that? It's going to be in April this year. Well, well the, the cool kids already got their invites, so they know. So, no, the invites <laughs> haven't gone out. I actually have an appointment in about 20 minutes. To go <laughs> right. over the well, so, so so you guys, that's that's one of your, you said your estate. Is that where you got some people there in, in, in that area? Yeah, we have a, you know, the farm is invested and partnered with a large property up in Napa Valley. It's a big house and uh, we host a lot of our internal events there. We host our CEO summit. We That's host our like, awesome. logistics summit and a few other things. So this is, why, this is why you work, work with Jake and his team. You go to Napa Valley. Yeah, exactly. Excellent. So, well, Jake, this was excellent. I'm glad I finally got a chance to talk to you. It's uh, it's always fantastic to talk to people like you who are really the, the backbone of this industry. And without that Without the VCs, we don't see all the cool tech that is transforming our space. So thank you so much for being there. Of course. Thanks in for the time. and hope to see you soon. Yep. And thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support's very much appreciated. Until next time, onward and upward. You've been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage in conversation with experts in the logistics field. For more details, visit thelogisticsoflogistics.com or follow Joe Lynch on LinkedIn.